This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Rumya. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on-air community, and everyone's invited. Friday's edition of the program, folks. Oh, yeah. That means we're swinging open the gateway to your weekend. All right, let's get all excited about it. Woo! All right. Uh, Amuthan, they put you to work this morning early at headquarters. You took through with uh, some of the others a tour of yep. guests yep. high to the CCB chapter. Tell Toronto us about Visionaries. This. It was lovely. It was actually the second of two tours. Uh, we had one a couple of weeks ago as well. You know, just checking out the AMI facilities, we are um, excited as always about the accessibility around here a lot of that tactile uh floor patterning and things like that that we could just you know let community members in on but also production programming production control room people love kind of coming in here hanging out and today we actually had the kr set up so people um got to sit down and do interviews and listen to irene count them in and out of segments and it was fun they got to see what it looks like by touch, of course, yeah. or whatever vision a person has in the real real time and place kind mm -hmm. of thing. So mm -hmm. that helps, too. When you watch the show, those people uh, say hi to Kathy and Reg. You saw my friends there this they morning. They were there. Uh, yep. Hi to those guys and all the others. But mostly people get that chance to, oh, this is what it's like. So when they're watching the show... Oh, yeah, I, I know where Rumi is sitting. Yep. It's you right. know, I've been in there. They were yeah, sitting in my chair. you have. Yeah. <laughs> oh, a lot of people awesome. had a lot of messages for you, Kels. You know, like, uh, yeah, um, you I respect Kelly so much more now that I know he listens to five things in his ear. Things like that. Oh, wow. It was just only one of the most, you know, impressed things. You, you, I see you exaggerated. Five things, eh? I don't know. Was it five? I just made up a number. I figured This may much. not have been a real uh, comment. <laughs> And now they're sitting there, and did you hear that, folks? I, I just heard the balloon pop. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> folks, let's see what's coming up today on the program. Samsung's, Samsung's smart ring might signal the start of a new wearable era. John Beeler, he's going to be around a little bit to tell us a little bit more about this. A big-name coach is making the jump from college football to the NFL, and Brock Richards is going to tell us more on the sports update. And, folks, what are some books that are already making waves this year? You know who's got the info on that for us. Ryan Huey will be sharing some more on the bookshelf as he talks about a few later on in Hour 2 of the program. So this didn't make the roundtable yesterday because we just couldn't get to it. Oh, yeah. New York City's mayor has announced a groundbreaking initiative during his uh, State of the City's address. Mayor Eric Adams' State of the City address included a surprise declaration that the city's health commissioner has named social media as a public health crisis. Companies like TikTok, YouTube, Facebook are fueling their mental health crisis by designing their platforms with addictive and dangerous features. We cannot stand by and let big tech monetize our children's privacy and jeopardize their mental health. Adams saying New York is the first major city in the nation to take on social media companies, holding them responsible for the harm being done to teens. Derek Dennis, ABC News, New York. So, there's a couple of places to go. First of all, let's not individually think, okay, no, this one's more of a place that, that, that's, a, that's doing that luring and so on. Let's not even pick on 
said mentioned uh, apps and uh, that that he's mentioned wrong. What, where I kind of hear this, what I get from it is, where the heck were we like 15 years ago, 40 years ago? There's always something that teenagers are apparently getting into being that one could say, this is a public menace. Yeah. This is a health crisis. Do I agree? Have I agreed? Have I thought it in the past? Sure. Your thoughts. I mean, if some city is going to do it, it's going to be New York. It might as well be, right? It ought to be, actually, uh, New York City, because, you know, like, we're all just <laughs> following New York's orbit. But the... I, I don't, like, at first I kind of giggled thinking, all right. But, yeah, it is true. It is a public health crisis. It's definitely social media, as you said, forever has been um, some way a menace to society or another. And I guess it's now just the point where it's so chaotic, not just with the individuals and the, the particular problems that we're having on social media, but this uh, spot that they identified, which is, having to keep social media platforms accountable. Like, we really need to say, you know, ha-ha, all this drama around X and Elon Musk. But honestly, it's more than that. Like, it is serious, and it's gotten way too far, this kind of authority that social media and its uh, creators or its people of power have over the general public. Reality is, it's not just teenagers that are sucked no. into any of these at all. All of us. That are spending more time. There are people who have said, hey, I picked it up, I put it on my phone, and geez, 18 hours later, I realized yeah, yeah. I'd gone down so many or just like holes. the privacy and all this other stuff, like with TikTok, right? We're just so used to it, and we're like, whatever. But, you know, somebody's got to be kept accountable. Well, and I think we're beyond this whole business, especially with teenagers. We can't keep saying, well, where are the parents? Where are the parents? Because it goes way beyond teenage years and so many people older, seniors, finding it and saying, well, I just can't put it down. And that's not good when we get too deep into something. Is We all know with anything, whether it's chocolate, uh, whether it's alcohol, whatever, you can have a little of something, but you've always got to be wary of its effects and just getting too carried away. But uh, interesting to see how this goes. And mostly, what do you do with it? Hold them accountable? Right. Okay, what? Because they fix it so you want to stay on their platform? Well, a baker making his food kind of hopes you'll keep coming back to his restaurant and buying their food and not going somewhere else. That's the ideal, you know, the ideal goal of a, of, of a restaurateur. So... Where do you, you know, where what's the cutoff? Where do you hold the, them responsible? Where are we individually responsible and the people that support us and look out for us in our world? So very interesting, very interesting. Coming up, folks, on the program, on our gardening segment today, Susan Kearney, of course, is in here, and we'll be talking about all the things that you can use vinegar for in the garden. Now, in Canada, we'll put it on fries. Americans, it's, what are you doing with that cleaner? Well, I guess we're partially... Cleaning the garden? Sue will tell us exactly what after this. Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Ramya will be right back. Thanks for hanging out with us, sharing some of your Friday with Kelly and Ramya. We're here weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Over on AMI-audio, you can find us at 4 p.m. Eastern, first uh, airing of the program, and then repeats, 10 p.m. Eastern time on both networks, AMI-audio and AMI-tv. Of course, you can always call upon 
You know I'm going to say it, folks. Your favorite podcast platform. Subscribe to the show. We'd appreciate any feedback, or if you could give us a rating and review in there, and you can listen to the show in segment form, or it's a complete version uh, where we have the audio vanity card that we toss on the end of the full show podcast. Rummy and I'd like to welcome in now to talk gardening as we do on Fridays to get this uh, nice, more relaxed show started. Susan Kearney, our gardener. Hello, I'm Susan Kearney. Join me on Kelly and Ramya for the joy of gardening by using touch, taste, scent, and sound. So, Sue, welcome to the show. And I have to ask Ramya, what things do you use uh, vinegar for, Rum? In general or in the garden? No, no, in general. In the garden, never. We'll, we'll let the expert tell us yeah. about that. I mean, I use vinegar for cleaning often, more often than I thought I would. Yeah, uh, that's mm -hmm. myself. Well, of course, your Keurig machines, your coffee, whatever, if you're a coffee yeah. person, and other other devices like that. Yeah, uh, cleaning so the many sink. Yeah. Areas, right? Just to get that little non Older. instead of always using chemical yeah. away. Yeah. Just let that vinegar suck it up. So I'm not sure that I really would have thought about it out there in the garden. And I think it's simply because we are taught so much to be careful if you get vinegar in your eye or whatever, or something like that. Oh, it's not that it's harmful like other things, but you, you kind of have that, oh, it's, it's a bit harsh. You get it on your hands. Obviously, you're going to you wash it off because it'll dry you out. So I think for me, I've never imagined what I would use it in a garden for until we started to do these segments. Yes, it's actually very useful in the garden. And, <clears throat> and, and talking about cleaning, it's one of the best things to clean your um, pots, and even, even your terracotta pots or, um, you know, any kind of planter, the inside or around the sides, if you, if you want to do that, if you're doing transplanting, and, um, because it actually keeps a lot of um, transfer of different diseases down, molds and funguses. So that, it's, it's very good for that. Uh, soaking your... Um, tools, your garden tools, in water and vinegar, and then drying them very well uh, actually keeps them uh, well um, shiny and very clean. And once again, it takes some of that, um, you know, maybe some fungus or um, some molds that might be transferred uh -huh. from one plant to another. So yeah, What it's, happens it's if you don't dry it well, Sue? Is, is that a... Is there a particular, I mean, obviously water, moisture, you don't want on tools and stuff like yeah. that. Maybe that's a concern. But does is there a, a residue or something that the vinegar leaves behind that we should know? No, not really. Um, uh, uh, drying your tools, no matter um, no matter what, is, is a very good thing because you don't yeah. want yeah. rust um, no. starting up on them. And, and they can get rusty very quickly. And um, I, I sometimes have a very bad habit of um, taking my tools after I've used them. And just before I clean them, I'll, I'll just um, put them into a bucket and sometimes um, forget about them until the next day. And then you really do have to clean them very well um, with a brush and some vinegar and water and then dry them very well. Um, I, I, I have caught myself doing that on, on, on many occasions. Um, also, when you're cleaning uh, things in in the um, garden, your like your trays, the bottom of the trays that you have for um, uh, seedlings, uh, I soak mine in vinegar before I plant my my seedlings, and and dry them very well, 
and then put the, the seedlings in, in there uh, with, with the water. And, and once again, that just stops a lot of uh, like any kind of mold or uh, fungus that will grow um, in, in, those, um, in those trays or maybe they've been sitting around for a while. Um, and uh, when I take them out to put the, the uh, seeds in, I want to make sure that they're good and clean. So that's mm. another use for them. So it is really for cleaning, unless there's something else you're going to tell us about. Oh, yes. There okay. are lots of things. All right. So Some cleaning is the tip of the in- iceberg? Uh, yes. Or cleaning the is the, the tip of the mm. iceberg. Yes. yes. And, and the pots and the trays. <clears throat> the other um, thing is, um, of course, the horticulture vinegar. Um, we can't use this for cleaning. It is for only using in the, in the garden horticulture for the horticulture and um, it will uh, kill off weeds it's very good to do that this one you you really should wear gloves for and and even a mask Um, you don't want to get any of that on your skin it's um, quite high acidic it's much higher than um, your ordinary vinegar that you have under the counter or your cleaning vinegar that you may have in your cleaning cupboard Uh, it's a much higher um, vinegar uh, acid content so and it's very good for taking down weeds Uh, I use it a lot Uh, you don't have to use any chemicals and in fact it's it's really quite it's quite an amazing um, product I, I highly recommend it. So, and, um, also, mm-hmm. Susan, I was actually curious about yes. this aspect when I imagined up all the ways that you could use vinegar in your garden. I thought, couldn't it also be dangerous because of all the acidity? Uh, and, you know, if you start pouring vinegar around for whatever reason, if it could be harmful for your garden, I was curious about this segment because of that. So are you saying that when you use this uh, horticultural vinegar for weed removal essentially that it's not harming like the grass and the dirt and the actual environment for growth is it just dealing with weeds or are there side effects no well you do have to be careful when you're using it um because you don't want to get it on anything that you want to um like keep in the garden survive in the garden and so when you're using it it really has to be used on um, on the weeds, um, put on the weed, whatever weeds you are taking out. I find it very useful for using around the edges of the garden or around um, patio stones, in between the patio stones. That's where, you know, a lot of weeds grow up there, and, um, and, and it's very useful for that. Using it um, once you have set your garden or your garden planters, um, I wouldn't use that kind of vinegar. There are other uses for vinegar when you, um, in the, uh, in your planters or in the garden, and those have to be very well diluted um, with water. Mm. And one of them, um, actually, this uh, it. If you take um, some chamomile um, tea. Mm-hmm. And uh, two liters or two two cups of water, and uh, then a, a tablespoon of vinegar, and spray that around the you know the um, the bottom of the of your plants. Uh, that also reduces 
any kind of molds or fungi um, that may be growing there. And this this will not hurt the plant. It, this isn't the horticulture. This is an ordinary uh, white vinegar, okay. and it's very well diluted. And you've got the chamomile tea in there too. And mm, to help this is very too. good for keep. Yes. Mm. Right, right. And and this How one frequent? is very. It, oh, Should you, you apply can use that? this. Ah, uh, you can use it until the um, fungus or the. Um, or the molds have disappeared. Uh, I have used it on top of soil, like around my plants, just a little bit of spray, and uh, it, it works very, very well. It's, it's one that works uh, well for that, and it just keeps a lot of those fungus that may grow or the molds that may grow in the soil, but it does not hurt the plants because you're not using the horticulture vinegar. Right. The horticulture vinegar really is for only um, for, for um, killing off our weeds or if you want to um, kill off some grassy areas. But, um, yes, that one, you, you, it ha- it's a specific use. That particular vinegar has a specific use. And it wouldn't hurt if you are using it. Obviously, it's going to get on other things where maybe the mold or whatever isn't present. But what a nice way to do it and quite a deterrent for anything wanting to get on there with mm-hmm. having that mix of the of the, of the the vinegar and the tea. Mm-hmm. Cool. And the water, yes. You have to yeah. dilute it. Um, right. Even the ordinary white vinegar, you should dilute that one. Uh, sure. Also adding, um, when... I have had this this particular problem, and um, I did I did not do um, with the vinegar, but when you're planting your seeds, many seeds, and uh, uh, another segment will uh, talk about what seeds need to be um, soaked and what seeds don't need to be soaked. But if you have seeds that say soak before planting. Um, one of the suggestions has been to add a drop of vinegar to the water that you are soaking those seeds in. Just a very small amount, just a drop. Why is that? Because, ah, well, last year um, a lot, I planted uh, some, well, from seed, I started the seeds of um, uh, some, some peppers and Um, Believe it or not, they they started to grow a little bit of um, moldy stuff on the bottom. I ended up having to throw most of the the little containers of seedlings that I had, I had to throw them out because they all went very, very odd. And I I couldn't cure it from putting the the spray of vinegar and tea in. Um, Nothing would take it away. Mm. So I found out if you actually add a very small amount of vinegar to the soaking water um, when you soak the seeds, if they need to be um, soaked. Uh, most pepper seeds do, and that's what I should have done from the very beginning because then um, it, that moldy stuff would not have grown, uh, grown right. in, into the actual seeds. The seeds just went moldy. I had to throw out my... It was, you know, because um, they were shishito peppers. I got one plant. Aww. That's, that's all oh, I man. got. And you would never know it's there, would you? That's like what in, I was going to say. Yeah. You wouldn't know from the seeds well, that it was going to be moldy, or could you tell? was like, in there. Yeah. Um, you know, they felt funny. Um, when when the little plants came up, um, they they felt really funny, and then they didn't they didn't survive. They all kept dying. That is too and bad. And I couldn't figure. Yeah, yeah figure and it started out. all but the way from the seeds. The, yeah, 
the seed it the seeds actually started to go moldy or you get some fungus when they were actually germinating and and this is quite common with some seeds that need to be soaked so um adding that little bit of vinegar apparently that helps so i shall try the peppers yeah. again and, and that makes and, sense uh, try this and see what happens yeah that's great uh Suze, we got about two and a half minutes what else where else should we go with vinegar <laughs> Okay. Um, the the other one is add a little bit of um, vinegar to uh, the water in your vases when you have cut flowers. Apparently, it keeps them fresh, and it really does because I I've been doing it for quite a while. Uh, just a very small amount, and uh, you don't have to add any more. Um, when you keep refreshing the water, uh, just for the first time you put them in a little bit of water and uh, in with vinegar in with the water, and it keeps the the uh, cut flowers nice and fresh. Wow, oh. that's amazing. Any other indoor ones that you can we talk about mold or things that happen sometimes indoors? Anywhere else we would be? You know, we talked last week of the snake plants being around and their life. Is there yeah. life um, longevity? Anything anywhere inside we should be using the vinegar and water? Mix? Yes, yes. Actually, um, you could make up a spray of of a small amount of vinegar, um, quite a bit of water, but in your spray bottle if if you're using them on shiny leaves. It, it works very well. And it takes a lot of the dust off. It's actually better than uh, just right. using plain water. Yeah, it, it actually does very, very well. So that, that's, that's another one. There, there are many, many more different uses for it. It's a, quite, quite amazing. It's a it big garden helper. <laughs> yes. Wow. And, and one that so many people just, it's just so easy to do. We've got it around. Just add that bit. Sue, thanks a lot. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks. Bye. Every Friday, folks, join us for Gardening with Susan Kearney right here on Kelly and Rumya. We step aside for a couple of moments. Samsung's smart ring might signal the start of a new wearable era. John Beeler, he's here. He's got more on his app update next. Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Rumya return with more in a moment. I've noticed I've been a little remiss, ladies and gentlemen. Don't forget to check out AMI Plus out there. Lots of great content you can find off of the website. You can check out different shows, of course, all with accessibility in mind. And enjoy the variety of content that uh, is being produced and funneled right here through AMI. Uh, check out AMI audio content, AMI TV content. It's all there. Digital shorts, all sorts of stuff. Check it out through AMI Plus. Kelly McDonald here with Ramya Muthan. Let's get to our Friday staple, which is the app update with John Beeler, where we talk tech. Hi, I'm John Beeler, technology expert from Vancouver. Join me on Kelly and Ramya, where I share the latest app, mobile and tech news. Everything from accessibility and product launches to privacy and security. We'll cover the gamut. John, we're covering a, a few different um, major tech companies today. Let's start with Google because they're introducing new generative AI features in Chrome for Mac. This is very specific. Yes, it's very specific. And specifically, it's also right now just for U.S. users. 
and you can't have an enterprise in your educational account. So this is basically for Gmail users that log into Chrome with their Gmail account. But I suspect that this will be rolling out across all accounts fairly shortly, including Canada. Okay. Um, so I wanted to sort of touch on a couple things that may or may not be useful, but then there's a couple things that actually I think could be really useful to people. So one is something like tab organization made easy. So this will uh, basically allow you to um, have AI sort of interpret all the tabs that you have open and who doesn't have a dozen or hundreds of tabs open uh, and organize them into groups. And it'll, it'll look at the types of content in those tabs and give you suggestions to how to name those groups so you can make maybe easier to find things. So like maybe, you know, here's your work stuff, here's your personal stuff, here's your hobby stuff, that kind of thing, which, you know, is kind of useful. Um, then they have custom themes. So you can use the text to image diffusion model for Chrome to create personalized themes to theme your Chrome browser. This can do things like generate background uh, images and uh, add visual style, that kind of thing. Again, maybe not as useful to most people, um, but I think the more interesting thing is AI writing assistance built right into the browser. And this will allow you to basically right click on a text box or a field. So like in the context of a website and there'll be an option to help me write. So if you're stuck or you don't know how to like start a thank you note mm, or an RSP yeah. or something like that, it can do that right in the context of the website that you're on, which I think is actually probably pretty useful for a lot of people. That's the one that we, yeah, definitely most likely be using more than anything. Uh, it, the other stuff, though, like the organization part of it, you kind of sounded a little dismissive. Is it already all over the place where we can tell that people aren't using these things? Or is it just that well, it's not super unique? I guess it depends on how you like to organize your tabs. Um, I think that might be different for everybody. I'm not sure i would use it myself um but uh i think for some people that especially if you have out of control tabs it might be one way to wrangle them <laughs> what does again. that even mean okay yeah <laughs> How are you using sometimes in my browsers i have hundreds of tabs open. Do you actually wow okay uh like in the life of a tech guy but okay and then is there anything else or more about that um uh you know fill in with the with prompts thing yeah i mean I, I think this basically sort of plugs in Google's AI tools into the browser at the browser level, which I think is going to be interesting because you're not going to have to go to like ChatGPT and paste something in yeah. or ask it a question. It'll have a little bit more context as to what you're doing. So I suspect that, uh, you know, because the browser is going to be understanding the, the context and the page that you're on and what you're trying to accomplish, there might be a little bit quicker uh, getting to the end point where you actually get your results that uh -huh. are helpful. Google's sort of positioning this as a way to help people get confidence in writing about things that they may not be comfortable with, or at least maybe need a starting point to, as like a template to, to begin with, and then they can go in and customize it for their liking. I don't know about that. I think it's just going to make it easier, though. Like, we don't have to do it anymore because it'll do it for us. Um, but generally, though, I think that this is a great ne next step for us talking about AI assistance in these ways and productivity and workflow, uh, that it makes sense that they would just start implementing these features into browsers, into our programs. And n like you said, not having to go find the external source of ChatGPT to then paste back in, et cetera. The one thing that I will say, and I know you're probably going to bring it up next if I didn't mention it, is it's still unclear uh, in the context of the browser and on the website that you're on, what kind of information is being sent mm -hmm. back to help feed That's the AI it. model. 
Yep. So the whole privacy aspect is ever present. Well, and it's Google, and we know right? So like, much of the learning, right? We talk yeah. always about learning and needing what they need. Google has clearly been out there. John, is there a reason? Um, and when I say this, I obviously understand we're rolling it out to a select smaller, a smaller group for testing, and so much we're trying to learn. Um, do you like this way that this is being? sent out to this kind of group of people um, when it comes to cross-section of people still being able to use it that aren't necessarily educational, not a, not workplaces necessarily. Is this a better way of, let's say, testing this? I, yeah, I, I do. I think testing it in a smaller group, presumably with less importance uh, because you're not trying to do yes. work stuff with it, although you could easily use work stuff uh, with your logged in browser using your own Gmail account. It's not uncommon. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think it, I think it is, Kelly. I think it, it, it really sort of narrows the focus and it gives uh, Google some actual practical feedback on what these tools and their usefulness and things like that. We've seen lots of examples of Google sort of uh, mothballing different things because mm -hmm. no one's that kind of thing. So this will give them a much smaller data set to start that investigation um, and also mitigate things like privacy concerns with your enterprise yes. account, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. You don't, less likely that some big company is going to say, you know, we are allowing our staffers to use this and this is what happened as we forge in. Um, ambient light sensors, John, they can reveal your device's activity. How big a threat is this? Uh, I'm going to start off by saying it's not yet, but this is a really interesting thing that researchers have discovered. There's actually a, a few case studies where they're able to uh, utilize these light sensors that are present in pretty much any device you have these days uh, that detects the ambient light uh, brightness around you, but also um, it's just the, the kind of the way the sensors are located in the device. People are specifically scientists are actually able to determine in some cases what you're actually doing on like a touch screen or gestures and those types of things because you're interfacing some in some way with these ambient light sensors wow. and there's a lot of reasons why this is not a threat per se right now because the the bad actor would have to know a lot about the device you're interacting with to know exactly the placement on the screen where the sensors are what you're actually interacting with on the screen those types of things but an interesting uh, data point that they mention is that currently uh, data or ambient light sensors are one of the few sensors on uh, Android and iOS devices that has no permissions attached to it. Uh, right. Oh. Yep. So the, so any because that or, just works with the light lights around you. Is that right? Like if you, as you go into the evening, things will change yeah. on your display. Is that what that's all for? Detecting Yeah. That? Well, just think about the light switch in your house. You don't need to put yeah. a lock on it. Generally. Right. So it's the same thing, wow. but the fact that these sensors could also sort of reveal a little bit more about what you're doing, and it's also an attack vector for uh, software and apps to sort of peek into a space that previously wasn't thought was even peekable, and and currently there is no permissions attached to that. So um, I, I don't think it's a threat now, but I wanted to sort of highlight this because this is something that could get uh, worse as we get into these more bigger displays where there's you know yes. um, a lot of interactivity happening to them and stuff like that, and they get much more uh, connected to the internet. Uh, uh, and especially if you think of things 
and I don't know how much this is being with, but but televisions even right as people start doing more and the touch screen starts doing you know as that kind of starts becoming a thing for monitors. Well, everything's like that, connected to our Wi-Fi could be, now. Could be such a problem for people seeing what you're doing, what you're mm -hmm. watching. Yeah. Even an advertiser would love that. Oh, utilize this. The streamers would love it. That well, data. and these sensors uh, generally probably are much more sensitive than than the application they're being used for. So there's right. nothing to say that perhaps, uh, uh, I don't know, like a virus or something could actually like read the sensor values and be able to determine by the flashiness of what's happening on your screen as to what you're actually watching. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Like, it, it's always like that, right? It's kind of that same or a parallel conversation of our um, smart devices are always listening to us because... They are waiting for the wake word and all these other things, but technically that means they're always listening. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I understand that you brought this up to be warned about for future scary content. That's what it is, right? <laughs> Down the road might. Yeah, You know, exactly. in a month or so. <laughs> exactly. Um, but let's talk about a potential new era of sm smart wearables, which is the Samsung Smart Ring. Yeah, this was something that Samsung unveiled uh, in their recent unpacked event, and they kind of kind of snuck it in at the end, kind of almost like Apple, like one more thing, uh -huh. and they didn't give us a lot of details about it. But this signifies a, a pretty major uh, deal, I think, in the smart wearable space, which has been dominated by watches of all shapes and color and style. Um, but the smart ring has kind of been this sort of outcast and a very small segment of the population has been using them. Uh, there's a there's a company called um, uh, Aura, and they have kind of been the only significant player in the space. And they also have significant patents on a lot of the technology in these rings. And if you think about what this means by having a ring instead of a watch, especially for the accessibility crowd, where it's just passively being a sensor for your body, for your health, all those types of things. Without a screen, your battery life lasts longer. It's also a much smaller little device. Potentially it's less expensive. And then it will be either um, able to self-contain, uh, capture all that data and then sync at a later point in time, or it'll just be paired with your smartphone. And this is the first significantly large manufacturer, Samsung, that has sort of thrown their hat into the ring saying that this is coming uh, and we're going to change the game is what they're saying. So, and you know that uh, other Android developers or, or uh, manufacturers are going to sort of start playing in this space because Samsung sort of gave them the the, the go-to. And then, of course, Apple might pivot and start adding rings as well because these companies all tend to leapfrog each other constantly with innovations and things like that that they're doing and spending time yeah. on. Yeah, and, and again, for a lot of people who want, need so much of the data that these things can give, um, it's that kind of, what would you rather wear? You know, it was kind of nice to have a, a watch, nice to have about. jewelry, right? Yeah. You know, it's, it's a preference. But is it like, you know, because I was at one point really looking into um, getting like basal body temperature and then there's rings, but then there's also watches. Apple recently uh, put it into their latest watch and then there's all kinds of other um, devices that are meant to be specifically worn, you know, by your elbow or whatever, uh, skin contact there. So I'm right. curious curious like are rings themselves becoming a more you know like a better way of doing a wearable versus the wrist is there anything more about that 
Well, I, I think there's a couple of things in play here. One is a ring is much more passive. Yes. When you have a watch, especially in a public setting, you're distracted. You might as well have your smartphone sometimes, right? True. Because mm -hmm. yep. you yeah, for sure. Yeah. to see stuff. Whereas a ring is just capturing data in the mm. background. Um, so, and it's also one less thing to, you know, bang on a wall or, you know, a door or whatever. Um, and some people uh, are, can be, you know, uh, pretty clumsy with their devices. And so they're only going to buy so many Apple watches before they, you know, run out of money because they keep breaking them by smashing them. Right. This, yeah. this, uh, this concept of a ring is much more, um, I think, uh, inclusive in the sense that Anybody can wear these and not have to worry about you know damage and those types of things. I think Kelly touched on it. Like, would you rather wear a watch to bed or would you rather wear a ring to bed? Sure. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I hate wearing my Apple Watch in bed because it's just yep. something I'm going to bang into the wall or or something. So and yeah. um, I'd much rather wear a ring. Um, even that though, for some people, can be a bit hard to do. Um, but I guess it just really depends, and we don't really have a lot of information about what. Samsung's planning with their sensors is like, well, what kind of sensors is this actually going to track? Is this just a fancy pedometer or is this going to have some other deeper sensors that they can utilize that? Um, and I have no idea from a medical standpoint or a health standpoint, what kind of data can you get from a finger area? Finger. Because you mentioned exactly. elbow area. Yes. Yeah, that's right. So, yep. Yeah. Um, because you I are think it's after exciting. that. Yeah, because people are going to be, John, after that, especially people with health concerns. They want to know their blood pressure. Is it going up? They want to know all those really important things that we've been seeing the Apple Watches touting and saying, hey, we can do that. And for most of us, I like to think, oh, I can get that much through my wrist or they can get my, my oxygen level through my wrist. So it would seem to be in that little crevice in your finger maybe that's even more direct. Maybe there's doctors sitting there listening to us now saying, guys, it's easier to get it there. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. But so exciting because, as you say, a ring is less intrusive, whether you're jumping in a pool, even if you have a watch on that's waterproof. What a, what a very interesting take. And I, th I think if they work, it'll really go far. But it's when Samsung jumps in, not well, obviously in this case it's Samsung, but it's when one of the bigger giants jumps in that we start to really hear about it, right? And that's why it's interesting yeah. that now Samsung's done it, now we're thinking ring, because the stuff is already out there. Like the tech is already out there. There are a lot of different types of wearables for specific reasons other than, you know, like the way we think of the Apple Watch that is out there, but we don't necessarily hear about it unless you go seeking it out. And then what you trust medically. Right, especially there. Like there's some yeah. organizations and companies yeah. are going to put something out and you're, you're going to believe it more than maybe Apple or somebody else doing it. Go ahead, John, sorry. I was just going to say the the other big thing is the, the, the tech has been around, it's in watches and other things like that. But now you've got someone like Samsung with very deep pockets that can actually yes. put the investment into miniaturizing this technology, yes. um, making it more useful for a wider group of people. Mm -hmm. and just really invest in getting it out there. Um, the Aura Ring is is an amazing piece of technology, That's but not it, a lot yeah. of people know about it. Exactly. No, exactly. this is exciting. Wow. John, super cool. Thank you. You're we, welcome. We will chat with you next week. You will. John Bueller, he joins us for our app update. That's on Friday, and uh, we talk all things tech with him. Up next, we'll have the buzz. Uh, Beth Deer will join us, and we'll see what she's got to talk about today. Stick around. We'll be back in about two minutes. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv.
Too bad you were there for the tour they did at the main campus this morning. Too bad? Yeah, because, see, there was probably things said such as, yeah, when those two, or wanted to be said, <laughs> when those two are on the break, they run their mouths right until it's time to go back, and we're there like, shut up, shut up, shut up, you two, shut up, shut up, shut up. We can't say that to them. We just want to. Yeah. Shut up, shut up, you two. Yeah. So I, I wonder what things would have been said if you weren't present. Oh. Not that we'd ever know. Well, I don't know. There was a tour where I wasn't there, so oh, I, I didn't hear any bad things. Oh, I crap was said there. No, no, you're I not I think I heard something like, we really it. missed you and wished you were there. Yeah, that's what I heard. And were you asleep wearing one of these ring wearable rings? We'll see if that data has been captured <laughs> saying that was a fact. <laughs> well, I think you were dreaming. Get somebody on the show. All right. <laughs> Beth Beer joins us now. We call the segment The Buzz. Uh, we don't really know where Beth, uh, Beth's going to go today. It's sort of like when Billy was here. That guy went all over the place. And Beth is filling those shoes quite well. Welcome back, Beth. How are you? Hello, hello. I'm good, thank you. And yeah, I do tend to... Uh, anything that like just captivates me even the tiniest bit, I'm like, I think you're going to talk about that on the buzz. <laughs> <laughs> so my first article today is about Sephora. I don't know how much this is going to interest either of you, but it's not just about like the shop itself. So what is up with 10 year old kids in Sephora? That's a question dividing parents, dermatologists, retailers, and social media as more and more children buy expensive, elaborate skincare and beauty products. Now, personally for me, my For You page on all the kind of like different social media platforms that I'm on has been filled up these random videos actually of adults walking around Sephora and counting how many kids they see. But this article <laughs> in Sephora. Is in Sephora, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So this article is talking about the fact that kids at Sephora has become a huge thing. They're calling them Sephora kids, quote unquote. Um, <laughs> dermatologists have now chimed in, warning that some of the products are harsh and not meant for pediatric skin. Other people are pointing out that there's nothing new about children mimicking older role models and that it's harmless. Sephora Kids refers to the children and tweens who shop at the beauty retailer, sometimes posting videos of their hauls and skincare routines, um, much like influencers they follow, which, yeah, like, I see that, like, that does make sense. But the trend is to have thought to be started partially by Kim Kardashian's daughter, Northwest. Um, oh, I don't dear. know why. I'm, I like. I feel like such a child. Her name always just makes me chuckle. Um, me too. Anyway, she she reminds me of the video. old bold and the beautiful, where everyone had these darn names like Ridge, <laughs> Thorn, you know, all these like. Oh, it's a nature sounds. And like, Brooke, I just, there was the other one. I always like. <laughs> I I'll read her name and I'm always like. Northwest, no, like they're talking about a person, not like a direction. Okay. Um, who posted a video in 2022 of her morning routine, which included a sheet mask, lip mask, and toner. She is not, she was nine at the time. Um, Kim Kardashian's daughter did the same thing in November, and a dermatologist responded with her own video. 
she said, I just died a little. Why does, <laughs> why does this adorable 11-year-old need makeup and the skin and a skincare routine that is more complicated than mine? Yeah. Canadian the Canadian beauty industry grows 18% in 2023. Um, this article mainly talks about Gen Alpha, which is kids that are born from like 2010 and later. Um, personally, I don't know how I feel about this, mainly because for the people that have issues with it, I think their issue is more about the parents letting their children spend that amount of money on something that they don't necessarily need. Like I, for years, loved makeup so much. Um, and I remember going to Sephora for me, it was like the best day out. And I, I think the most I ever spent at Sephora was like $900. I know, so insane. Um, but it was all stuff that I'd like really researched and like I desperately wanted and had wanted for ages. And it had kind of like made it to my master list. And at the end of the day, I was spending my own money. Um, it also scares me a bit because it's like, I think about my daughter and all the people she's going to grow up with. And like, personally, when I was a kid, if I'd have said to my mom, take me to this beauty store where everything is insanely expensive um, and let me buy whatever I want, she would have laughed in my face and been like, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My, my family, my parents were really open to it, especially clothes, right? But there was mm -hmm. no way we were going somewhere getting name brands. To, not that if we had the money, I don't think my parents would have would have minded. They they tried to accommodate in other other ways, and I loved it as a kid. When you know my dad and I would fake putting on the cologne or whatever, mm. colognes were my yeah. fascination. So I get it. I think here the store's filled with obviously families that can, you know, that can spend mm -hmm. this. What I kind of heard from your item that just made me question because I really don't know the answer to this is what when do we stop having what would be concernable skin, pediatric skin, I think is the, the term. So at, at what, 16, 17, that there's when it's okay to be throwing all I, this I would you? say so. I think probably when you like hit, like are kind of done with puberty, I would yeah. say it's right, probably when right. your skin is, you know, again, quote, quote, mature enough. I just, I feel like it's... The oh, oh, is that Popo? That is not Popo. Oh, okay. That is his best friend, Jake. Jake, got it. Um, Jake is well, Jake, not a fan Jake of gets the anxious, doorbell. right, and wakes up. That's the doorbell. Right. He does. Oh. Yeah. The thing is, guys, like, it's more about the conversation and the quote that you read uh, for me, um, which is like, what? Why are the conversations around, you know, like, everybody's wearing makeup now and it's getting younger and younger versus, like, Remember when we were having a lot more conversations about clean face, or is that what they called it, clean face, where you didn't have makeup on? Like, people were really uh, okay with, I think it was called bare face or something. Anyways, where um, people were just, like, talking more about having nothing on your face and making that normal. Like, you put your hair back yeah. and you don't have anything on your face, and that was what people were posting with. No filters, no nothing, and that was normal. Uh, did that phase just die out so quickly that now we're just moving on to kids wearing makeup i mean i mean such severe shock around See, this I, whole thing 
I know, me too, because I I loved, you know, dressing up like my older cousins when I was younger. And a lot of that, I think, back then had to do with, like, the way they wore their hair or, like, the fact that they were maybe wearing heels. But actually, like, like, at the end of the day, like, these kids are investing in makeup. Yeah, no, no, this is legit. Like, this is their day-to-day-to-day. Like, Like, this is how they present themselves to the world and feel like they need to leave the house looking like. 100% I did read I think it was either in this article or a similar article something saying that um it was so the article had quote from an employee at Sephora and the employee was saying that it had become really uncomfortable for her because she would serve multiple times a day kids that had bought over a thousand dollars worth of products to the counter and the parents would be like okay you can only have half of this so like she would have to stand and wait there while this parent argued with their you know 10 11 12 year old child about how much yeah like they we've could spend lost when even yeah, when even the amount of money that they are spending is still just so ridiculous. And I mean, about I the mean, money, though. It's not, I know. Like, we've parent, lost sight like, of the root of the conversation. Like, what happened I to know. having conversations with your kids about, like, we don't need makeup, babe. Like, that's you're great exactly the way you are. Say, like, yeah. what the heck is going maybe that's on? Not a con- con- maybe that's not a conversation had in the same way anymore because, I mean, it's there more were like toys you and do things what like you that want. that I was told... That no, you're not getting. Do you? Why do you need that? The other one's not yeah. smashed yet. Mm-hmm. That's you know, the thing. Like, we, we... I feel like I'm kind of talking about something that is no longer a thing. You know, like it. it and you mentioned generations, and what do you call it? Alpha C or whatever. Generation Gen Alpha. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, can't even keep track said. of yeah. like the sub gens from let alone the actual gens. And um, and I'm thinking like you know the way that I think of makeup, has that disappeared? Like, is that now an obsolete way of thinking of of makeup? Of more of, like, a presentation? So so you guys didn't think of putting makeup on at 10, 12 years old, other than what... Are you kidding me? What mom wore? Um, Kelly, when I was 10 and 12 years old, it was about foundation lips. And it was about having one product that you could do everything with. I never touched makeup. (laughs) And and that might be a personality thing, right? But she did. Well, I think so too. There's people who as adults say, I'm not going to bother with that. That's stupid. There were times when you'd put on makeup, right? Like you put on makeup when you're really, really going Mm -hmm. out to an event. But even then, like... Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know? Or like a proper (laughs) event where you had to get dressed up and then mom would let me wear certain makeup. But that wasn't... I was going to say, wear makeup to school. discos... School discos were like the time, or for us in England, where you had to wear school uniforms, non-uniform days. Normally, it was like mm, a fundraiser yeah. for something, yeah. and you had to like yeah. pay right. a pound to like go in in your own yeah. clothes, and that meant that you could also wear makeup, and it was like such a big but deal. Never because... like if I just left my house wearing makeup at ten yeah. or eleven, my mom be like, "What is happening I... at school that you need to wear makeup?" For? I specifically remember wearing like it was. I went through a little bit of like a gothic face did like the dark eyeliner and i specifically remember going to leave no i think i was probably like 12 by this point but i specifically remember going to leave my house 
And my dad was like, you're going to be late for school. And I was like, no, I'm not. And he was like, yes, you are. Go and take that off your face. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> like, I think high like, school, maybe grade eight, but high school is when you really started to put on makeup. Yeah. Like properly right. and have Even conversations so, like, around it. And, yeah. Your parents right, well, would still right, well, tell right. you that you I got to cut you two it. off here. Sorry. The foundation of this show is okay, based sorry. on time. <laughs> Go put your foundations on. <laughs> All right. <laughs> awesome, though. I love them, ladies. This looks great. 30 great years been on makeup. All right. This looks really cool. I I really enjoyed this. <laughs> I'll go put my makeup on and get into the next hour. Folks, uh, thanks, Beth. Um, we do the buzz Wednesday through Fridays on the program. Another hour. We've got Cut for Time. Check out uh, when we get to it later on. What are some books already making waves this year? Ryan Uwe shares on the Chatty Book Show. Up next, Brock Richardson. We're going to talk about a switch. A big-name coach from college football makes the switch to the NFL. He has details after this. Thanks for rejoining us, folks. Rummy is at the studio in Toronto on main campus. I'm at the home studio, London, Ontario. Kelly McDonald here as we settle in for the second hour of the Friday edition of the program. Uh, gateway to the weekend, halfway open, folks. We'll get you there. Are you calm now? Not really, no. I mean, I we think we really need to. It's good it's a Friday, but. Tutorials on TV, uh, on uh, YouTube or wherever, you know, like. Just, I just don't think is. that we should have is. Northwest as our North Star for this conversation around makeup. Like, mm, I'm not about this. Yeah, I got really interested in when they said skin because it's true. I mean, you got that softer skin and stuff like that. Unfortunately, I can't see any other reason. If you have the means and you're yep. okay with your child doing that, okay, that's that's, that's fine. You know, that's have concerning. fun with it. Hmm. Well, you know what some would say, Rum. Could be tattoos or piercings. I, I, we'll leave that alone, I don't, right, Rob? Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> At 10 and 11, it should be none of the above. Oof, boy, that's another topic. Yep. I feel Beth starting to get into a Zoom room right now. Yeah, she's going to go and find something to support it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk sports. Brock Richardson here with a sports report. And talk about his makeup. I'm Brock Richardson, and I love sports. As a former pro athlete, I bring you the sports angle beyond the headlines, plus parasport news and analysis. Like myself, Richardson, I'm going to imagine that generally the only makeup you really relate to is Halloween or theater. That's really, for me, the most of it. Now, you want to talk aftershave colognes, and I know you've talked that <laughs> recently, some spending money on nice colognes and all that stuff. Oh, yeah, that was my thing as a Excuse kid. Excuse me. Yeah, mm. no, it's... it's uh, I mean... To go on the makeup topic, my dad used to be, like, the worst with my sisters. Like, you're not going out of the house like that. I can relate to I can relate to Beth and her dad saying that, uh, you know, it's like my dad used to be ruthless, too. So I totally get it. But, no, I wasn't allowed cologne until I, like, almost graduated high school. I think <laughs> oh my. he let me put on. Yeah. I think he let me put on cologne when I was going to graduation but it was like no other than that same have a shower that was that was the (laughs) that was your cologne this nice soap here and don't use too much of it it's expensive um i was allowed at a pretty young age i mean i my dad's and i used to fake it when i was five till about 10 12 years old and then then out came the um stuff my mom would order 
from, oh my goodness, uh, Avon. Oh, Wild yeah. Country. Get the Avon stuff. And I, mom, mom. So they were okay. And that took the, the, enough time for my dad to teach me how much to put on, not to marinate in it. Uh, sir, <laughs> what is your leadoff item? Let's marinate in sports for a little while. Yeah, uh, the a, New York... not say the word marinate anymore? Okay, go on. <laughs> the, the, the Mind-boggling why that would bother you. Oh, my God. <laughs> right? Yeah. We, we don't say that word anymore, right, Rob? Shush. Carry on. Uh, <laughs> the New York Islanders uh, recently hired a new coach, uh, Patrick Waugh, who um, played in the league for a long time. And he played mostly with the Montreal Canadiens as some would remember. Well, he came back to the Montreal Bell Center and the crowd gave him a really big standing ovation for a long extended period. The Canadians spoiled Mr. Waugh's party and beat his team 4-3, to three, which is relevant. But it made me think, guys, that Montreal really has this way of honoring its people past, present, and even a little bit of the future. And I just love that. I think when they do pregame ceremonies... They do it well, and I personally love it. Kelly, do you have any comments on what you've seen and, you know, organizations and what they do? No, you know, really, Brock, I I, I don't really, because, again, it's that settling into what you see in that and what, what, what when you look at people being able to do what they do, um, I'm fine with it. Yeah, I I just love the way they do, they do the... Uh, they do ceremonies like in the beginning of the year, they have this whole, you know, passing of the torch ceremony, which is an actual torch and they light it up like for real. And then they bring it as close to the ice without touching it. And it lights right, up on the ice and it, it's a whole big ordeal. It's very cool how Montreal does things. And I really, really appreciate the way they well, do they've it. Had, so, because they've had the dynasty. I think that's the whole thing. They've had the dynasty yeah. of doing these things special and a lot of time you stop and say, wow. And I think it's just that it's gone so far back to doing stuff like that. And I think the, the main word is dynasty. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my second item for you guys is uh, a cool one that I wanted to bring to you guys. Canada's representative as an official at the 2024 Paralympic Games in Paris, France for Bocce will be Gary Vanderbee. So nice. very excited to announce that. And he's a really, really good guy so yeah gary's a special person for you personally so tell us why so uh first of all he's very very meticulous he's a very assertive and sure of his uh place and decisions on the court his dedication to the sport with his son uh he his son had been in the in the sport for a long time but his dedication since then since uh, josh has left has been second to none and i think this is even cooler guys because josh is uh, co-chef de michon for this event and so father and son can kind of share in that and he's not necessarily supporting josh as an athlete but he's supporting josh in a leadership role and josh is supporting gary so really really nice decision uh by the people at uh, in bocce in the international world because you can only pick so many people from each nation. So mm, very, again. very well-deserved if you are if you are uh, Gary and company. Nice. Again, do, doing it right and that, that recognition, that, that kind of this is how it should be done. Boy, what an honor. Sir, let's talk about college football. A former Michigan coach 
that we know well. The name has been out there forever, even before he was over there. He's now in the NFL. Uh, we're talking, of course, uh, Jim Harbaugh, who has moved on. And I'm kind of curious, now with him in the NFL, give us some details and why is he a good fit for this? Uh, he's, he's coming he's coming back again into the NFL. Uh, he won a title with uh, Michigan recently. And as I mentioned, he's coming back into the NFL, he formerly coached the uh, San Francisco 49ers, and now he's going to be coaching the Los Angeles uh, Chargers. This is exactly the kind of guy you want as a coach. First of all, he's a player's coach. He he loves the game of football. He, you know, really breathes it. And when you're a player's coach, that player's excited. And his determination to, to be relieved from your duties from one team, go back to the college game, do it again, run it back with an undefeated team, and then come back. Like, that's incredible. It's very easy mm -hmm. for you to say, oh, no, I, I'm done, I'm, I'm over it, you know. But to go back, to do it again, that's incredible. And so I really, really hope to see him on the sidelines and not just as like a one run sort of deal one team i want to see him here for a long time because i think he deserves uh the opportunity to get a super bowl because he's just a genuine genuine nice man mm. so yeah well as a michigan I like fan i liked him over here i know there was some stuff that's gone on in the recent months over there um you know different things they were questioning and stuff like that not by the team but just all, but also well not 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 on the team performance of course just other things but really really congratulations to see him work and like you say that that's a person that belongs in the nfl so really cool it's interesting hearing you guys talk about people uh, in this way, their careers, and you having followed them or loving them as as humans and seeing them go through their trajectories because uh, you're kind of like rooting for not just players, not just the game, but uh, coaches and people behind the scenes, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think for sure. it's, easy, it's easy to forget about coaches, right? It's yeah. easy to say, you know, you as the athletes are the people that do the, the job. The talent. And mm -hmm. that, that's it, right? So, we, you know, I think that's that's unfair and i think we have to yeah. give coaches their just as well and well coaches go we certainly their... give them their just when there's things aren't going well they're exactly. the first one usually, let's make exactly. a change okay yeah but it, it is difficult and not everyone's trajectory is as smooth so um that's no. really interesting you want to talk nfl playoffs because we're now down to the nfc and afc championship games yeah so let's start in the uh, nfc where we've got uh the D detroit lions uh taking on the san francisco 49ers i love the detroit lions story listen i love the fact that their coach dan campbell was a player for the organization he loves and loves the organization and just he's prepared every time he goes to the field and you can see it on his team however this is where i think this sort of cinderella story ends here in this case i think it ends because brock purdy and the san francisco 49ers are just rock solid. They on every side of the football. They are they're good. They're good in the passing game. They're good in the running game. They're good everywhere. And so when you've got a guy like Christian McCaffrey on your side, and he's your wide receiver, you're you're off to a good start. So to me, I think that this is this is going to be a real real good matchup. And I think you know San Francisco is probably your favorite to win the uh, Super Bowl, but that remains to be seen. And it's really going to be really, really exciting. So that's the NFC game for you. The AFC game is the Kansas City Chiefs versus the Baltimore Ravens. <clears throat> for me, this is the 
game that could almost be better than the Super Bowl because you've got talent on both sides. You've got Lamar Jackson. You've got Patrick Mahomes. They know what they're doing. This is going to be a game that's going to come down to the very last possession, and it's just going to be so much fun. And, of course, you can't forget about Taylor Swift because she's going to be in attendance. Yuck. But anyway, that's going to be a thing. And there's going to be eyeballs on it everywhere because everyone likes Taylor Swift. But, yeah, it's just going to be. I like Taylor Swift, but just. Stay away from my yuck. Oh, no. <laughs> hot take with yeah. Brock. Wow. wow. Well, that's a hot take. All right, boy. We'll be able to use that on a promo. One Cut word that, guys. hot take. Uh, I like it, Brock, because you're, I think you're very right. Unfortunately, with the Detroit situation, I think it is going to come to an end, but beautiful story and really been following them for the last few years and waiting for this to happen. But definitely, I think that what a great matchup uh, in this Kansas City game. Brock, quickly, are you surprised that the Blue Jays haven't done anything as we sit today? Uh, no, I, I think the Blue Jays are sort of satisfied in saying we've got Isaiah Kiner-Falefa and we're going to build around our team and that's what we're going to do and we're going to focus on our renovations and I hope it works. Yeah, you hope it works because you like those renovations, man. All that Rogers money <laughs> being spent. Oh, my phone yeah. bill. Anyway, thanks, pal. Thank you. Brock Richardson hits us with Sports Fridays. Kick off our second hour of the program as we get you ready for your weekend. Coming up next, what are some books that are already making some waves this year? You know who's got the details on this and some suggestions, some remarks, comments, feels about this. Ian Huey with the Chatty Bookshelf next. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner. On AMI Audio this weekend, do yourself a favor. Catch the Pulse this Saturday and Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific time. This week, in the second of a three-part series on accessible fashion, Goita speaks to Wendy Wong, founder of June Adaptive, on her creative choice and journey. That's the Pulse this Saturday and Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific time on AMI Audio, also available on YouTube and, of course, from your favorite podcast platform. Kelly McDonald with Ramya Muthan. Hey, as my co-host, doggy co-host, uh, demands pets of me, uh, let's bring on Ryan Huey for the Chatty Bookshelf. Who knew an entire library could fit inside your pocket? I'm Ryan Huey. This is the Chatty Bookshelf, where we talk audiobook trends, news, and author interviews. Ryan, there's been a... Uh social media thing that's been going around are, are we over it like is it done now i don't know but it sounds really cool and welcome back hey guys thanks for having me can we back up for just a minute and what, what did you mean doggy co-host oh yeah glasgow's here in office today he's been really oh, okay. really good so i wanted what to what shout happened, him out did, what happened ryan did you get a complex there for a moment no, uh, if I'm being honest, I thought she was referring to you somehow. Oh, I, I like, knew. Well, that's like, why that's I figured you would. As soon as she said it, I knew what he was going to say. My canine co-host and my canine loving co-host. They're okay. both that's equally right. important. No, I got So actually, this past Wednesday, what you were referring to, Ramya, was National Shelfie Day. And this mm. is cool. So it's kind of take a picture of take a selfie of your bookshelf. But how it kind oh. of branched out this year was... 
a lot of people were doing it digitally. There was people taking pictures of their Kindles. There was people taking pictures of how many books they have in their Audible library. And I kind of think it's like, hey, maybe this is a missed opportunity for, for Audible and for audiobooks.com. Like maybe incorporate that somehow because it's pretty big. There's a lot of hashtags uh, out there and a lot of people were doing it. Man, we could have used digital. your doorbell if they wanted audio. True. <laughs> You yeah, know, maybe. your your whole yeah, library in your darn pocket. Yeah, huh? that's a good one. Can they afford us, though? I don't know. Nah, oh, of course not. Never. But, you know, that's not our problem. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, so, uh, you know what, and that was on Wednesday, but there's there's always, you know, th that's just the one day, right? But it's kind of a, a year-round thing. People will just randomly do some upgrades to their shelves in uh in July or when, September or whenever, and they're taking pictures of them all year-round, but it's kind right. of just adopted this day into National Shelfie Day. That's cute. Hmm. I love that. Shelfie day. Yeah. National shelfie day. Uh, cool. I mean, okay. Hey, they're at it again, yeah, right? Well, and, and and what way to bring different attention, whether it's to reading, audiobook, listening, Kindles, mm -hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. So because we're reaching the end of January now, you've been keeping tabs on how 2024 is looking. There's lots of ways to do that in the book world right now. So what did you want to talk about today? Yeah, this is one of my favorite times of year, and I know I'm saying that all the time, but now yeah, you have all of the you have all of the most anticipated lists coming out. And I read six, and uh, of the two books that I'm going to say, all of them are on five. The first one was on all six, so I think there's some pretty big excitement around it. And I just wanted everybody's mm -hmm. to read lists to grow. And I was trying to figure out. I listened to the last segment, and I was trying to figure out how to work into the word marinate into it. But stop I was it. like, I. <laughs> oh my god! Stop. <laughs> All right. So, which ones are catching your eye then? Uh, you this first one is actually really, really cool. So it's called The House of Hidden Meanings, and it's by RuPaul. And for those that don't oh, know, shout RuPaul, out. Yeah, it is a. He is behind. He is the creator and the host of RuPaul's Drag Race. They're happening all in all mm -hmm. kinds of different countries now. There's the U.S. one. There's RuPaul Canada. There's RuPaul UK, Australia. There's a ton of different uh, ones out there. But uh, it's all about the the drag world, and uh, this is his memoir. And it's really cool because there's a lot of different things that he touches on. But I think the coolest thing. Sorry, I think the coolest thing about this is that there's not much being said about this book out there. And he's only released a, I believe it was a TikTok, and it was 30 seconds at most. And there's one line about the book, and I think the publisher and everybody's going with it. But before I get into the line, I, re I really hope that he's the one that narrates it. I think that that would be great. Oh, if, hell uh, yeah. Could get, right? I, I think that's the way to go. I don't know if that's what's going to happen, but it touches on so many different things uh, just based on the one paragraph that has been released and then this one line. So this world today feels so hostile and it's such a hard place to be vulnerable in, but I did it. And that's all that's been released about it. And it's oh, said by RuPaul. Nice, nice. Is that though. a memoir then? Like, do, do we even yes. know what it, okay, great, great. Okay, it's a yes, memoir. So it is a memoir, and that's why I think that we got to get Rue to narrate it. Well, especially when you think of so much RuPaul went through, what what talk was back when, as uh, coming on the scene, what we started to learn, and and everything like that, and no one ever shared like RuPaul did about life and what what things were going. So I, this is this is going to be good. Oh my gosh. 
And there's been so many like TikToks and Instagram posts uh, about uh, just what people think about uh, what he's going to touch on and how excited mm-hmm. they are. And I knew Ramya would be jacked about this. I'm pretty excited about it because uh, just recently I've kind of gotten into a little bit of the the RuPaul action and RuPaul's Drag Race, and it's it's, it's so fun. It's very compelling. It's a fun show. Mm-hmm. It's you can learn a thing or two, and it's just it's really interesting. And I love the characters. I mean, I love oh, everybody that's on there. I, I love the Sass people times that, yeah, 200. That's exactly. That's a perfect word for it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, his performance <laughs> on an audiobook, just sign me up, honestly. You bet. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, right. and it's just amazing how things were so different. RuPaul come on the scene in the world and just so much to where we are mm-hmm. now. So uh, 100%. This is going to be great. Okay. Do you want to move yes. to your second? Yes. The second one is called The Book of Love by Kelly Link. And this is a Pulitzer Prize winner, so she won uh, for journalism, I believe, is that that's what it is, but uh, this is her debut novel, and this one is kind of cool because here's what's been released about it, is that you're in a fictional Massachusetts coastal uh, town, and four friends go for a walk on the beach, three vanish into thin air, and one is left with what do I do next? And it kind of mixes and mashes horror and magical realism and there's a bunch of different things in here that i think a lot of people are going to to really like and this one was on five of the six lists so people the, the buzz is huge and uh just back up to rupaul for a minute his they're already getting five star reviews on uh, on goodreads and i don't even know if the i think it's just fans uh kind of thing but i forgot to mention that so but this one the second one has really caught my eye just because I think the way to go with it, and uh, I don't know because nothing's been released, is you got to do a full cast narration where maybe if there's four main characters, you got four narrators. One will narrate, you know, uh, Kelly is character one, and they narrate this, and then Ramya's narrator will narrate Mm -hmm. chapter two. And I think that's the way to do it. And if they do that, I think they could really capture something with this one. But I mean, do we don't feel... even know, right? Like, we don't even know no, if the characters. No, we don't know if they disappear. Long... If we yeah. ever hear from right. them, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I love the setting of Massachusetts. It's been like there's just so many books and places. The, the, it, it's almost like um, I don't want to say a phase because it's gone on for years, like decades now. But what a place to the scene to be a lot of older mystique like this. And when you talk about people disappearing, and as you said, kind of the magic, the 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 horror that you could no other place seems to and i'm sorry folks in massachusetts not to pick on you but no other place and i guess it's the age the colonialism and everything that yes. we associate uh, with that era you know you've been down there so you you know that mystique of it is tremendous and i will admit because we know i'm not big on fantasy books and stuff like that but you know when it's a mix I'm able to bend myself a little more than than I would if the horror is there, if it's kind of modern setting to to an extent, but you have some magic or some, how the heck could that happen without some you know, paranormal experience? I'm a little more on that. Right. I can twist it a little bit more now. I'm so interested in the... Well, yeah, my bad. Uh, I'm so interested in the grief aspect. Like, how are they going to navigate the conversation, the the author, going to navigate the conversation around the grief and the immediacy of that? Imagine if there's no reporting of the people, like, as if they... That's what I'm saying. But And it's sudden, right? Like, it sounds very sudden. I think... 
what the, what the big thing for me is like in today's day and age, it's like everybody has a camera on their phone and they report, you know, you, yeah. you snap but that's a picture, where the magic and all this comes in. And that's right. And that's what I'm kind of wor- wondering about mm-hmm. too is how are they going to relate that? No, this is a deep subject. What, like, what I'm if very they were curious. And there's there. so many different aspects and so many different yeah. viewpoints you can kind of have and you can take mm-hmm. it in so many different ways. And who better than a Pulitzer Prize winner to kind of do that, right? If you're in the journalism part of it, and uh, I, I think that that leaves a lot to the imagination. My and goodness. I think that that's really going to be a key in this, and I'm really excited about both of these. Truly, like, I, I guess this is a fun part of all this, right? Like, as you're anticipating books, as you can tell that people are super hyped about certain books that are going to come out, and we just tease and tease and tease, uh, especially with the fiction stuff, you know, the novels, Mm-hmm. We could just sit here and go on and on and on about what we think it's going to be. Right. About. Yeah, I know. Just based though, on when, the rep. when you start reading it, that's not maybe what you started to conjure. Well, maybe up we shouldn't do life. this, but that's. I don't but think it's you still should. Fun. <laughs> it's still it a is. lot of fun. Yeah, because <laughs> no, people it, it, are it out there. Fans are out there and are yeah. very excited. You know, for whatever reason, your authors or the the next book that's coming out, or just someone really cool putting out a book. And yeah, this is what you look and, for. And, and when you read a book, Ryan. <laughs> Rum, you you get that in your mind of what's going to happen anyway, whether you sit here five weeks out before you read it. Once we start, you start putting things together. And how many times have you, oh, well, I I wish I hadn't gone that way. Or, oh, my gosh, I never expected. I thought for sure it was going to be. You're not a writer. You didn't write it. Yeah, but I thought. Well, nine times out of (laughs) ten, you know what, nine times out of ten, I love being tricked. Uh, you know, oh, I think it's going to go this way, and then yeah. it doesn't. There's there's nine times out of ten, I love being wrong because the author or the the publicist or who, the editor, yeah. they they just wow me as a team. Well, and, and that's why you get the book. about that. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. why. And they know, as a writer, you know, this is going to lead everyone to think this is what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Forget it, you. This is what's going to happen. Also, I'm and sometimes seeing... you employ magic to do it. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, like to have some of these tough conversations and and to make it more interesting too, I guess, just make it magic, make it uh, sci-fi or something fantasy where people can get on board in different ways, right? But um, the other thing I was going to say is like the pre-ordering of books, Ryan, is I swear such a great way to keep track of how many people want to read your stuff. Right, like, um, and that's what people are. But like, that's yeah. when you get into the email subscription lists, and it's like, hey, come pre-order, you know? Yeah, and you can tell just and, based yeah. on the pre-ordering, like how big your book is going to be. I think how last big your year, advertising, and mm-hmm. if you need to run any yep. specials or yeah, include just start it in a sale. marketing months and mm-hmm. months and months in advance. Sometimes a year in advance. Yeah. I think. And I think that's when you're labeled a super fan if you're pre-ordering a book because you're using a credit that you could use for something else months in advance. Yes. You know, you're oh, not I've expecting anything until, you know, two, three, four, five yeah. months down the road, whenever they put it up there. And it's a risky business because, you know what, you're putting this book up there five months yeah. before it's pre-sailing, it, eight months, 12 months, mm-hmm. and you're not, you're not, you're, the payoff isn't there. So it's like you, yeah. you really got to Whether or not, it's really kind of like the support, right? It's that same, yeah. I think of it in the same vein as, you know, supporting people on Patreon or whatever. Like you're just doing it because you support the person, support this kind of... Uh, a writer. A, the, yeah, the writer, material. the book, the, mm-hmm. the celebrity, yep. whatever it is. Prince Harry, you know, like <laughs> whoever it is. As soon as the material is set to release, like if you can get your fingers in it in some way and you do, it just shows, yeah. 
Yeah. And, really? And... Patreon? I pictured you more as like a Wondery person. What? What is Wondery? What? It's a, just a, it's a kind of another. It's, is it's it the new Patreon? Kind of. It's well, there's there's a few out there. There's valued listener. There's Patreon. There's uh. Well, get Wondery, out. and there's a there's a ton of them out there where you can actually get the you know you subscribe here for five ninety nine or whatever ah. it is. Uh, and you, you get the the added the, the is this added another generation thing because I don't want to get into one of these uh, maybe, rants again. I don't know. Maybe I, I'm not, there, there's a ton out there, right? So it's, yeah, yeah, it just depends on where, what, you know, pick your slice or and then go for it. My people are on Patreon. That's where I'm at. Ryan, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you guys. So you know what? Let it marinate for a All bit. All right. Get at me okay, and bye let bye. me know get out uh, what, what, what is, uh, you know, you're going to add to your, what, what books you're excited about in 2024. Yeah, Thanks, yeah, yeah. Then, Nobody heard um, you after that word. And then marinate on that. Okay. Get him out of here too. Ryan, we on the chatty bookshelf. That's on Fridays when we Take talk care, audiobooks. Guys. I can't. I'm the canine co-host. <laughs> I can't believe it. Folks, we step aside for he a couple of moments. <laughs> and I, I figured he would figure that. But I figure things, you know, especially as he sits there, ponders and marinates. Up next, folks, we revisit and weigh in on conversations from the past week. We call it Cut for Time. Grant Hardy will join us for that after this. It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Ramya return in a minute. going to talk about different segments from the past week folks we call this cut for time remember to go to the podcast subscribe if you haven't done that yet the kelly and rumia podcast and you can check these out either in segment form as part of a whole show because we post all that that way and appreciate you doing so so we've devised this segment here on the program to finish your friday uh as we swing open the gateway to the weekend we welcome in Grant Hardy, who's going to join us for this. He's a reporter, producer on the program and out in Vancouver. And guys, I'm going to start uh, today as we reflect on the conversations we've had from the past week. Well, let's start with our conversation with uh, Community Report. Mark Workman was with us. We talked about some of the concerns with daycares out there in Alberta. Here he is explaining the ups and downs of a specific support program available. Like a lot of these programs, it can sound better or look better on paper than it is in the reality. And so some of the parents were sharing that they're struggling sometimes to get a hold of their caseworker. Um, maybe caseworkers are quite overstretched. Um, you might, uh, they noted that the caseload for FSCD has doubled, but the funding certainly has not doubled. And then, of course, one other barrier that, that's worth noting, and then I think we're hoping to kind of address through this conversation, is that you may not even know about the program, that's especially if you're, say, yeah, exactly. You might be new to Canada. You might not be familiar with these types of programs, or, or they may not have existed in, uh, in the place that you're from. And so I think there's such value in just, you know, making sure that people know about these programs, because that's a sure way to guarantee that you won't have access to it is if you don't know about it. It also used to seem sometimes years ago that, you know, you'd find something out, a program like the one Mark was speaking about. And he spoke about different things and I'll get into something else I want to with this conversation. But there were so many times you had no idea of something and almost like it was intentional by maybe the program put out. But not just that. You know, you could sit there and say, that's kind of ludicrous. A government clears something. They roll out a program. There is money, tax money being spent on it. There is money in the hopper to use. So why is it so quiet? And sometimes it's on us for nuts telling everyone. Um, there was always theories of f fear. Well, if I tell 
Grant about it, and he files for it. What if he uses up the money before I get there? So you get in this habit of being covetous of these kinds of things, and, and we do need the word spread. Yeah, sure, sure, it, people are going to use it. Yeah, yeah, sure, it's going to be depleted. You just hope that by use, the need is shown for it and that it, it gets posted up again. Brock was hosting with me on the show that uh, that day when we were having the talk with Mark, and we got into one of the pieces we got chatting about was in schools, the lack of money, the lack of supports for students with disabilities, and how much of a, a, a residue this leaves on you of pain through your life. The things that you may not have been able to do, couldn't do. And I remember when I was a kid, I remember going to gym class when I started in London, Ontario here, going to school. I remember the first gym class I went to, I got excited, went in, and I was dragged out of the class. Couldn't go. I can't have this blind child in there. There could be hazard. He could fall. Could be insurance. You try explaining this to this darn little, you know, seven-year-old who doesn't get what happened then has to try to explain what he doesn't get to the students. I could tell from Brock, and we've had these conversations off air, about times in schools and how, and you've heard us speak of them on the show, how people are made to feel so much like a burden at times. There's a point where some trips may be canceled. There's not enough help because you need someone here to help run you. All right, whatever it might be, and this is a shame, and these things unfortunately, are still happening because we know of the shortage. We know of the lack of knowledge of the value of these staff we need, but mostly the lack of knowledge of how important it is to be included, to do the same things that the others are, to be able to come back the next day to class and be going on and on and on about that darn trip that the class took that you were a part of. So I urge you speak up. I urge everyone vote when it comes to our elections for the people that are going to make the difference. We hear so little, and you have to dig it out, of what the supports may be if a certain party gets in for the disability sphere. But it is important. And otherwise, we, we hear a lot of talk, mm -hmm. but we still find things rum you go a little backwards. Yeah, of course. And the thing is, we talk uh, sometimes feel, I guess, ab about the community as if, you know, we're we're being so aggressive. Why are people so mad? Why are people with disabilities so difficult to put up with? Because think about how many generations of uh, people with physical disabilities, with cognitive disabilities, who just have been completely shut out of society, completely. And now we're at a point where we can say, okay, there is programming, there is lots. Look at how much stuff we are featuring on the show every single day from all different localities around the country, around the world, um, and new things popping up all the time. People coming in and, and emailing us and saying, hey, we want to hear from you. We want your lived experience means something to us. All of these things are so much potential and there's so much momentum now, but there's still a lot of disconnect, right? Disconnect on how we can participate, disconnect on what collaboration really means. Maybe... Um, uh, this person in Toronto has this incredible vision of connecting with the community, but they don't necessarily know who to reach out to, how to connect, where do I find all these blind people? So that's the kind of thing that I'm I'm noticing a lot more nowadays, Grant, where um, we're trying to connect the right people with the right resources, with the, the kinds of things to move this momentum forward. 
For sure, absolutely. And you guys have covered a, a lot of uh, ground there. <clears throat> but yeah, essentially the, the problems are A, that the programming that we have, particularly for you know marginalized people, isn't that always the way it goes, yeah. uh, is just not able to keep up with our current population or the higher population that we probably need in order to continue building our economy and building our momentum. So we're seeing a lot of cracks uh, emerging uh, that uh, people can just not keep up with. Uh, but also, yeah, that component of uh, informing, of, of providing information. And, you know, I, I certainly have to admit that a lot of you know, really important skills for for adulting, particularly like orientation mobility, which I really received very poor direction on when I was in school. And, you know, there's a, there's a little bit of like anger there that you kind of go through. But at the same time, you're in this position where like, what am I going to do? Just sit around and be annoyed about it or just try and move on. But we kind of have this odd juxtaposition of like, is stuff not really being dealt with when you're young but on the other hand as you get older people expect that you have been through it and you do know all of the solutions for those things that you should have learned as a child mm -hmm. really difficult especially given that it's not the little people's fault like what are you going to do you know call up and yell at your teacher or the person in the daycare like it's it's not it's not really them that's the problem. As Kelly mentioned, it really goes back all the way to political engagement and funding and making sure the public votes for the issues that, that they care about you. See, here I am blaming the public. <laughs> no one to blame. This is a very complex set of circumstances. Mm, yeah. Um, switching gears a little bit on Wednesday, we talked with our own Alicia Yardley from our HR department about the January blues and uh, some of the ways that employers can help people get through that. I think for employees to protect their overall well-being, it's to a lot of people, you know, to try to devote themselves entirely to work because that's maybe all they've got at the moment. Um, it is so important to have maybe outside hobbies. And even if you're not dying to get out, it's January, it might be snowy. It, it's so important for health and well-being. Um, and there are virtual events, um, you know, accessible meetups um, over, you know, Zoom or whatever platform it might be where you can participate in, for example, a book club. Um, I myself, I go to salsa dancing once a week. Um, I, I, I signed up for that because I knew that, you know, January is not a great month for me. Um, and so it was like, I need to do something to have something to look forward to. And I think for employees, that's so important. It's also really important to make sure that you're getting enough sleep, that you're eating well, um, that you try if you can to get out of your apartment, if you're working from home, um, you know, just even for like an hour a day, half an hour a day, it's so important to be able to do that. Yeah, Jan January and February can be very uh, trying months for me and a lot of people as well, I think, mm -hmm. especially if you're not like a diehard winter person where you just can't wait to get on the skis kind of thing. Um, I, I do think that the weather, the darkness, the shorter days, the kind of end to those activities that we maybe participate in the summer, uh, it can be really difficult for people. So I think just like acknowledging, you know, that... Um, 
that we're not alone uh, joining as much virtual activities as to not give you zoom fatigue especially if you are on meetings sort of during the week as well that can be really a lot of meetings and uh, i think it's a little bit of extra kind of social energy as well than just you know going to the, the restaurant with someone or whatever uh, but i think she raised a really good point about just even if it's kind of gross outside and the last thing you want to do is get out there in the rain or the slush whatever as long as it's safe for you to do so uh it can really enhance your mood i, I know i always Why not for me? Curious about your tips for staying happy, safe, but happy in the uh, winter. Kelly. You you know, it's funny, Grant, because people will say how they hate the gloom. I'm generally more happier in gloomier days, and I think that is way back to my eyesight, right? Um, The days of winter and the brightness would just, oh, it became just a nuisance. But I love what Alicia said about going that, that little bit outside, um, even if you're not necessarily that person that's got to be outside all the time or you hate winter, um, it makes that big difference to get that little bit of fresh air, whether it's on your balcony, walking for around the block and coming home. Obviously, we know the the physical benefits to that um, health-wise. But just, you know, when she was saying some of those little things to do, maybe that's the time to start something. Not as part of a, re- a New Year's resolution or anything, but take that Celsa course she mentioned that she's doing. Something like that. Start it then and get it through. Maybe you take it for six weeks, 12 weeks, whatever it is. Um, maybe that's the kind of course you find. Hey, look, funny enough, oh, it's April. It's time to go outside on a little more of a basis. And it's got you through those, those few gloomy months that, that really do seem rum to affect a lot of people. Yes, you know, the other day somebody said to me um, that they pack their springs and summers and early falls with a lot of socializing and a lot of engagement and going out and there's always something to do and just naturally they feel like going out and being around people. Uh, and so that is great for like that part of the season or that half or three quarters of the year is great for that. But then November, December, Jan, Feb come around and you kind of slowly get into this dull, dreary, uh, kind of quieter phase, I guess. But um, he said it doesn't necessarily phase him because he preps for what to do with this side of the year. And I think that like, I took that in pretty uh, well because I hibernate and I joke around about that all the time, but really a lot of my December, Jan, Feb is dedicated to let's listen to, let's get through more audiobooks, let's get through more TV time, let's get through more just like comforting things that feel more comforting indoors because like you, Grant, I'm not necessarily leaping to go outside and go skating and go festive and go walk around malls like I just don't feel like it and I don't necessarily think that that has to be a terrible thing I think that we can anticipate the darker colder uh, maybe more quieter days for something different you know like to engage differently with these months um I've really had to work on that though like really really (laughs) and every day kind of feels like, should I be more social? You know, where you're fighting with yourself about what you ought to be doing versus what you are doing. And, um, you know, tell myself I can relax into what this time is. So anyways, continuing on with the mental health uh, side of things, content on the show, on Thursday, Fern Lellum spoke to us about emotional triggers, and here she is explaining what exactly that is. 
emotional triggers are basically everywhere and they can be pretty much anything. So essentially what an emotional trigger is, is it's any sensory experience that reminds you of a past event or experience that you have had in the past. Um, and when you experience it, it will be quite intense, quite overwhelming, and it can happen just out of the blue, completely unexpectedly. So it can come over you and you're just not ready for it. So that's why it can be quite unsettling for some people. What I appreciate, really appreciate about Fern's more uh, recent content on emotional well-being and mental health is just the awareness she brings to things that we do unconsciously, ways that we behave, ways that we think, thought patterns, patterns in general, um, as as it pertains to our, you know, lives and the way we just take ourselves on day to day, a lot of it being, you know, negative uh, and discouraging for ourselves to, to build better relationships with ourselves, with our people. And she brings these things to our awareness one topic at a time. And I will say that has been super, super helpful to directly participate in with her uh, every other Thursday. Uh, Kels, did you want to say anything about that? I just wanted to say that it's interesting too, because like you say, some of the things we're not really conscious of and yep. Fern brings them out to us. But they have such effect on our lives, whether we're conscious of, oh, I'm doing it again, like she said, and some of her examples were great. Well, it's and we hard know when not you think to. about it, right? Mm -hmm. But they affect your life so much and are there. And something, it's it's like that invisible monster sometimes with some of these things um, that you really, well, it is, that you do have to fight and stop, like she said, and wreck an order. Why'd I do that? Why'd I react that way? And be honest with yourself, Grant. Oh, exactly. And I think that it's a, a great way to gateway to kind of acknowledge just so how many of us could use counseling or, or therapy. Of course, it's not providing someone to talk but, to. Mm -hmm. Just process your trauma, process your feelings, and open up to somebody about what's going on and learn how to process things better. I, I know I could use that. Probably a lot of us could. Mm. Yeah. I think always, I was always taught growing up. We all need someone to talk to. And no matter what, you could be in a crowd and feel alone because you just have that emptiness or something. And, you know, it'd be nice just to have someone to sit Try down. Try to take and it on all on your own. Listen. Yeah. And don't feel you have to be taking it all on your own. Thanks, pal. Appreciate it, Grant. Have a good one, guys. We do cut for time every week at this time. Grant Hardy joining us. We'll do it again next Friday. Beth Deer will be here with us. Uh, coming up on the other side of the break, we'll see what's going on over the weekend on AMI-TV and AMI-audio. Got excuses for you about chocolate, folks. Not sure if it's the chocolate that you kind of like to settle back with. Bit of a darker subject. We'll get into it after this. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. one of those tougher shows ladies and gentlemen when we talk about the best ofs when we talk about what to post on youtube but you can find a segment of our show up there ami plus check that out please um it's a tougher one rum a lot of great conversations a lot of fantastic information provided to us today on the show mm -hmm. yeah of course and you know every friday we have like the the things that we look forward to because we know that our friday shows are certain ways but it's always a pleasure 
Mm-hmm. And we swing open the gateway to your weekend, too, on the Friday show. So let's get you set for the weekend. Uh, what's happening on AMI-TV, for example? The 1997 TV uh, movie Dead Silence is being broadcast Saturday on AMI-TV. One of my favorite actors, James Garner, stars as an FBI agent who teams up with a policewoman to negotiate with escaped convicts who are holding deaf students and their teacher hostage. Based on the 1995 novel A Maiden's Grave and co-starring Marlene Madlin and Kim Coates. Dead Silence airs Saturday at 9 p.m. Eastern on AMI-tv. On AMI-audio, the Washington Post this week is brought to you on Sundays. You can uh, join host Matt Spears as he reads a selection of the most thought-provoking perspectives published by the Pulitzer Prize-winning Washington Post. That is the Washington Post this week, Sundays at 9 a.m. Eastern on AMI-audio. In our closing moment, could dark chocolate have a blood pressure lowering effect? Yes. Wow, essential hypertension is a prevalent medical condition and we can dream and hope. Well, maybe not, maybe it's more than that. Characterized by elevated blood pressure levels without an underlying cause, it is by far the most common cause of hypertension globally. Essential hypertension stands out as the uh, predominant uh, factor to uh, diseases such as coronary artery disease, heart failure, and stroke. Dark chocolate is one food with many potential health benefits. Researchers are really interested, Rum, in studying this because chocolate, well, I'll get into how it really helps and what it contains, but keep in mind, for chocolate to be considered dark chocolate, it has to have at least 50% uh, cocoa solids. And many dark chocolate is made up of 70% or even 90% yes. cocoa, right? right? So mm-hmm. we know that. However, it does make it a bit bitter, which some people kind of... Get used course, to it. That, that's right, because that huge amount of cocoa leaves less room for other additives, such as sugar. The bad boys, that's why it's better than milk chocolate and other varieties like that. Cocoa is rich in flavonoids, uh, so the higher of uh, cocoa in your chocolate, uh, the more health benefits are possible. Rum, there's that excuse. Now, do you actually imbibe in, I and if so, which percentage of dark hot, chocolate? Oh, hot chocolate? Dark chocolate. <laughs> I can do 85%, like the, the solid dark chocolate, um, but I prefer mm-hmm. usually 70, 75. And if you get nuts in it, of course, that also Heck, adds to the benefit yes. of health. And if you put raisins in it, I'm kidding. Nope, I'm nope, kidding. Nope, I'm kidding. Nope. Um, I like I like hearing this. They have a long <laughs> way to go in checking this out, ladies and gentlemen. This is kind of that theory. This is that check as things but we know. Always are. Like we know, there's benefits but. to the cacao. We just exactly we add all the other crap in it, like sugar and yuck raisins. Yeah. And that's now what I'm takes can't. it down. Every time I say oh. yuck, I'm going to think of Taylor Swift. This is terrible, bro. <laughs> <laughs> On our Monday show, folks, we speak with comedian Ryan Latchins about AMI's all-access comedy special that airs really soon. A former professional hockey player Mark Mc- Brock McGillis is going to talk about his journey for inclusion and diversity acceptance in professional sports. All right, we've got a show for you beginning at 2 p.m. Eastern time on Monday. And maybe over the weekend, you'll marinate in what content we're going to have on the show. We've given you a tease, folks. We're waving at you, folks. Have a great weekend. Get out of here, will you? Hosts, Kelly McDonald and Ramia Amadin. Reporter, Grant Hardy. 
Senior show producer, Jeff Ryman. Visual producer, Megan McGrath. Producer, Marianne Dion jones Graphics, Andrew Antonello. Production assistant, Kingsley Juco. Control room operators, Daniel Penamondo, Eliza Rocco, Parker Oxtoby. Director, Irene Solomon. Manager of live production, Paula Deneen. Manager of operations, Kyle Harper. Manager of AMI-audio, Andy Frank. Director of TV production, Kara Nye. Vice President, content development and production, John Melville. President and CEO, David Arrington. Give us your feedback, 1-866-509-4545. Copyright 2023, Accessible Media Inc. One of the fun things with the audio vanity card is the the stuff we share and, of course, keeping you in our moment. There's just things sometimes that are happening or something that dawns on us. And I love that about the audio vanity cards. I love to see where we are as a team and just sometimes that moment we sit down and share with you something that's on our mind, something we may be about to do or something we just did. Or when you're remembering stuff, I think some of you know from my audio vanity cards, you look back and say, ah, Kelly's being nostalgic, thinking about when he first did that or when he worked with DJ Damaris uh, together out of the Toronto office. And we did that for the TV side. And I remember having that thought, is there enough work for both of us? And I remember us kibitzing, you know, doing stuff that they wanted done together, promos that <laughs> we'd have some fun with. They'd rent some space and we'd do some promos. Uh, it's so wonderful to see DJ really striving and doing what he wanted to do. I remember having a conversation with him one day about going out to California and just spinning the wheel and see what happens, putting all his eggs in the basket, go out there and see how many omelets he could make and how far he could go. Then you'd start seeing him on different things, you know, on the Tonight Show and doing these hits and being out there doing his routine and really getting somewhere. And then this show from CBC and AMI and just coming out of nowhere in that sense. And as he said when he was on our show talking about it, you get an idea, you put it down, you think when you submit, it's going to take a while. And the wheel just spins all of a sudden and slows down and then spins again. And wow, suddenly you're, you're doing a show. You're involved in all facets of it. You're editing it. You're able to say, listen, if I'm getting this opportunity, I'm going to make the best of it. And if it doesn't go well, if it fails, well, it fails. If it goes well, well, it goes well. But you know you've done your best and had your fingerprints all over it, as well as the thoughts and fingerprints of others who have a vested interest and who have that talent and are helping you learn it. Nothing like it. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.